Romans chapter 2 here this morning as we continue on in our study uh, through the book of Romans. One of the things that, you know, I love about this is that you kind of know where you're at every single week. We finish on a particular verse and we pick it up right the next week and the next place. I, I've encouraged you, you know, this particular book of all the books uh, because of the impact that it has uh, in the life of a believer uh, to bring about revival. If you're at that place in your own journey of faith and you go, man, I, I, I could use revival. Um, like I shared with you as we began this series and I've shared with you numerous times since then that the book of Romans, maybe more than any other single book in all of the Bible has been used by God to bring about revival in, in the life of the church. And so I look around today and like you, I see the news and the reports and one of the key words that just flashes in my mind is revival. We need revival in this country. And uh, again, we pray for that. And I just want to encourage you to, to read through this. Um, Anthony was sharing with me, you know, it takes about an hour to listen to it in the audio Bible. So that's not, uh, that's not too long of a time is just to let the Lord just, you know, uh, permeate our thought process with that. And so I know that, uh, as you do that, um, he will uh, do the work that he has purpose to do in all of our hearts. Amen. I, I titled the series, like I said, made right, because that's exactly what uh, the apostle Paul is bringing out that None of us could make ourselves right with God. Uh, it's something God has to do for us. And he lays out, you know, uh, most of us, you know, when we came to, to Christ, um, and especially if we came, you know, at a latter time in our life, uh, like myself as, as a you know, young college student, uh, the Romans road, you know, was probably the path that someone shared with you that, you know, God loves you. Uh, but uh, in the midst of that love that he has for you, um, we are all sinners for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Paul would go on, he said, but you know, but the free gift of God, the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And then, so how does one become saved? And he said, you believe in your heart and you profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And he said, and thou shalt be saved. And it seems so simple. And you go, and some of the, the best things in life, they are in the truest sense. God made it simple for us to comprehend. Um, the difficulty at times is, is exercising the faith. And I even thank God for that because we don't even have to conjure up faith on our own, do we? That God gives every single person a measure of faith. You know, he gives us the ability to believe. He's the one who draws us and uh, again, and demonstrates, you know, his unfailing love for us. And so it's just a, a, a wonderful, wonderful book. And as it starts, like I said, um, you know, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, uh, the first you know, portion of this book is dedicated to one word, one word only, and it's the word judgment. And, and again, and you wonder sometimes, you know, when God is proclaiming the good news of the gospel, why would, why would it begin with such bad news? And, and I think it's pretty simple for most of us here that, you know, we wouldn't really appreciate the good news unless we knew how bad the bad news was. And it's pretty bad because there's no one by the time, you know, Paul gets done, I said, he begins like a like a, a, an excellent, you know, prosecutor, an attorney who is trying a case is not as a defender, but as a prosecutor. And his ultimate goal in these first three chapters is to bring every single person to a common ground. And that common ground is our guilt before God. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, um, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, I find it difficult, you know, in my own, because of my pride to want to say that I'm sorry or to admit, you know, that I'm wrong. And Paul just does a wonderful job just drawing you in. You know, even like I said, he started, you know, on the outside, the furthest point away, and he started with the pagan world, those that really had 
no personal relationship with God, had no desire you know, of a relationship with God, and began to pull them into that to demonstrate their guilt before God. And then he moved to, as we saw last week, he moved to what we might consider the moral person, the person who maybe doesn't have a personal relationship with God, maybe you know, does, we call them CEO Christians, right? They're Christmas and Easter only, you know? Maybe they do Christmas a couple times of the year, but uh, don't really have a, a personal relationship with God. But they would consider themselves, you know, moral or ethical. And so they believe that, you know, they're pretty safe when it comes to salvation because they're not as bad as the, as the heathen, you know, the pagan. And that was a mindset then, and it's a mindset even still today when you talk to people. And so Paul hones in on them. And then the last group is probably the most difficult group to reach at all. And it's the most dangerous because, you know, when Jesus, you know, returns to this earth, he said judgment's going to begin in a certain place. And you remember where he said that that judgment would begin? He said in the house of God. Yeah, it's going to start with me and it's going to start with you. For the same reason as what the apostle Paul is drawing out here uh, in this letter uh, to the Romans, is there was a responsibility that the Jews had. They were given the word of God. Uh, they had the privilege, and, and with that privilege also comes responsibility, and that hasn't changed. You know, you and I now have been grafted, as the book of Romans will tell us, we've been actually grafted into the promise of God, not to replace Israel, as some would teach, but to come alongside, and God has a very specific plan for the Gentile. And then when God is done with his plan for the Gentile, we believe, and you think about your your belief about eschatology or end times is that the church will be raptured up into heaven. And then once again, God will turn his focus back to the nation of Israel. It doesn't mean that God isn't working in the nation of Israel today. He is. But his main focus right now is on us. And so sometimes when you are dealing with religious people, it's so easy to think that, you know, like the Jews that you go, well, you know, I'm I'm, you know, I know my salvation is secure because, and, I, and I've shared this, and, and I, I totally get this because I've shared with you, you know, not, not in any sense of pride, it, it's, it's really in shame. You know, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and I remember going to church as a young boy, and the priest actually didn't even speak in English, if you think about this. It was all in Latin, okay? They taught catechism in English, so you knew when to stand up, sit down, fight, 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 as it were, you know, so to speak. But for the most part, you knew nothing about what was transpiring during the service. So in the truest sense, it was a religious activity. And when people, you know, when I got to high school where kids, you know, actually that were believers took their faith seriously and were reaching out to their friends and talking to them about the gospel, every once in a while I'd have a conversation with somebody and they'd say, well, you know, my case, so what do you know about Jesus? And, and I wouldn't say anything that I knew about Jesus because really I didn't know much about Jesus. I knew about Christmas and, you know, that God, you know, Jesus was born into the world and we sang Christmas songs and da-da-da-da-da. And I didn't really understand Easter, to be honest, I really didn't understand Easter at all. But I would just say, you know, hey, I'm Catholic. And oftentimes, you know, people would go, oh, that's good. Because I guess they were just assuming, because they knew more about Catholicism than I did, that, you know, I had some depth of understanding about the nature of God and you know, the fact that I, I needed a savior. I didn't know any of those things, but that's what I stood on. I go, well, you know, because like I shared last week, I go, my parents, they had me baptized, you know, when I was just a baby. So, you know, and you needed to be baptized, you know, to be forgiven of your sin is what I thought. So I figured, you know, I'm, I'm good because thank God I had good parents, right? So I was in. So when I began to read this, you know, the, my very first time through after giving my life to the Lord, 
it, it made perfect sense to me what the Apostle Paul was trying to communicate you know, to the nation of Israel here, because they're just standing on their heritage. They're just going, you know, Abraham's, you know, our father, you know, they wouldn't have known Abraham if he walked into the room, you know, it's like, it's kind of like if Jesus walked into the room, you know, we all think he's got blonde hair and blue eyes and he's got a surfboard for the most part, you know, if you live in California, right? But I've been to Africa and the African Jesus doesn't look like the Californian Jesus. You know, I'm looking at you know, this thing and I'm, I'm, somebody's like, oh, is that your, you know, is that like, you know, your grandfather? Is that like a painting? They go, they're looking at me like, that's Jesus. Yeah. No, I, I'm laughing. I go, you should see the Jesus that we have, you know. And and then you start looking, and you can Google this, and you can see, you know, Jesus, you know, and throughout culture, right? He's just, you know, people have their own their own concept of him. And so, you know, Paul, you know, is going to, like I said, just like a really good prosecutor, bring us all to a place where we're going to, um, you know, really have to take this to heart and and come to the place that are we going to agree with God? Are we going to fight against God? And my hope and prayer is that, you know, you've identified yourself in one of these groups because that was his sole purpose, was to bring us all to a place that, as I shared, he'll bring out in chapter 3 and verse 21, for all have sinned. That word, you, you want to highlight that in your Bible, all, all have sinned. There is, he says, there is none righteous, right? And then with, you know, emphatically, you know, he says, and no, not one. There's no wiggle room, you know, in that. And that's the bad news. But then he turns it to bring the good news. But the good news is, this is why we celebrate Christmas. That God loved this world so much that he sent his son into this world, born of a virgin, to maintain his deity. That he not just became human, but he remained God. And you go, why is that so critical? Why is that so important? You go, because, again, if he was just a man, as some would teach, they go, then he would have also, there is none righteous, no, not one. He would have needed a savior too. But he was born into this world as our savior. It says he who knew no sin, Jesus was sinless. He never sinned at all. But the Bible says, but he became sin for me and for you, that whoever then would put their hope and their trust in him would be saved. That's the beauty of Christmas. That's what we celebrate when joy came into the world. That that 400-year gap, think about it, you know, from Malachi to Matthew, the silence of God was penetrated when the light of God, Jesus Christ, came into this world. And it's such a, a wonderful celebration. Let's read in chapter 2. Let's read verses 17 through 29. We'll focus in on that today. Um, like I said, it's, it's, I think you'll, you'll get it. You'll understand it. That's my hope and my prayer anyway, as we, we look at this. He's now turning his attention from somebody who's just moral and, like I said, ethical. And now he's going after the person who would consider this themselves religious. And at that point, that was really only the Jew. You had other people who were spiritual, but they were into idolatry. So it's not like he looked at them as, a, as an equal faith. You know, they're really on the outside looking in. So there's really only one group of religious people at this time. And that would be ultimately the Jews themselves. Uh, and then obviously those that would come to faith in Jesus Christ, which gave birth then to the Christian church. So uh, we pick it up in verse 17. He says, indeed, he says, you are called a Jew and you rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will. And you approve of things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind 
a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and the truth of the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? And, you know, amazing, you know, in this, he says, uh, do you, you who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols and rob temples, you who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through the breaking of the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a lawbreaker or a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirement of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, just thank you for the days we live in, for such a time as this. It's such an appropriate word. Um, God, it reminds us that really in the truest sense, history that's not learned from uh, is history that repeats itself. And so there's nothing new under the sun. And uh, Lord, we, we, we try to twist things and turn things. But uh, Lord, really, it comes back to just a basic understanding that God, we're sinners in need of a savior. And Lord, when we don't bow our knee to heaven, uh, Lord, we bow our knee to the things of this earth. If we don't worship the creator, we worship the creation. And God, I think we're, we're starting to comprehend that more. And so we, we thank you for opening up our eyes. We thank you for, as we read last week, the kindness of God in our life that leads us to repentance. Thank you, God, that you were patient with me, that you were patient with us. And not just past tense, but you are even this very day. And we pray, Lord, that you give us your heart for the world that's around us, that we wouldn't make the same mistake as the nation of Israel, that, God, you chose them, Lord, to be your people, not only to love and to provide and to care for, just as you do for the church, but that they would be a light to the Gentiles. And, God, you've called us to be a light to the world. And so, Lord, may we see, Lord, the privilege that we have to own a Bible today. There's many in the world that can only wish that they could read what we just read. And Father, may we understand, Lord, not just the privilege, but then the responsibility, God. If your word is truth, and Lord, we believe that it is, and if your truth is what sets people free, and we know the truth, God, when we look around the world today and we see such bondage, God, may you open up our eyes to see the opportunities that are before us to share your love, your life. I thank you for those that God will be serving to get today with Together We Can. Lord, it's not just about handing out food. It's, a, it's about opportunities to share life. And Lord, may we make the most of those opportunities. May we see the kingdom of heaven expanded today. Lord, as we, we get the opportunity and the privilege, Lord, to love on people in your name. And God, throughout these holiday seasons this week with Thanksgiving, God, we pray those same things. I pray for every heart, every home. I know that this can be really trying times for many. They, they, they don't look forward to getting together because of the brokenness in their families. They see that it's just a stressful time that coming together is, is one of conflict. And uh, Lord, that's not your heart. 
It's not your desire. And so, Lord, may we be peacemakers, Lord, not those that would cause division when we come into homes. Lord, may you give us a fresh love, Lord, for the people that we come in contact with. May you anoint us, Lord, with power that comes from heaven to, to live the life, Lord, that you desire and to share that life with others, God. And we just have so much to be thankful for. We do count our blessings today. I know for my wife and I, Lord, as we, we look at this church and those that would call this place home, like the Apostle Paul, uh, we could say and do say today that I, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Uh, we just thank you for just a, a wonderful family, a wonderful group of friends, uh, Lord. Uh, some new, some old. God, just thank you that you've given us a place where we can come together and love you. Lord, and serve you and to demonstrate our love for you by loving and serving one another. And so, Lord, have your way today. Uh, Be glorified in your church. Be high and lifted up, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, so when you look at verse 17 there, he says, you know, indeed you're called a Jew. And he says, and you rest on the law and you make it your boast. You know, first and foremost, I want you to understand something about that, the name Jew. It comes from the word Judah, which means praise. So you really think about this and, and we'll end with kind of a, a, a note on the same thought. You know, the, the Jewish people were called to be the praise of God. Okay. They were chosen people to be the praise of God. You and I, as the church, have the same opportunity. It's one of the wonderful things about worshiping God, right? To be able to praise his name, to know that God has opened up our eyes to see who he is and and to adore him and to have a personal relationship with him. I'm reminded in 2 Samuel 7, 23 and 24, I'll read it to you. It says, and who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people. So think about how special Israel is to make him for himself a name and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land before your people whom you redeem from yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. For you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. Man, that's what the Jews were boasting in here, that God, they said, you know, God chose us, you know. It's one thing, you know, um, I think of, you know, Armin Savage. Armin was my junior high PE teacher. And I remember oftentimes, you know, in PE, he would divide, you know, the teams just by putting out someone. He would just appoint someone. It wasn't that he appointed the best person or the not best person. He would just pick two people and say, you're the captain. And then it was, you get to pick your team, right? And there's something about being chosen. And I remember, you know, because of sports, being good enough that somebody was going to pick me to be on the team. But I wasn't so insensitive that I didn't understand that there was something I hated about that process, not for myself, but for the person who wasn't going to be picked. Because I had seen it my whole life, that there was always going to be somebody who was going to be left out. And you can pick up, even as a child, the looks on people's faces, kids' faces, that they're dreading that moment. Because when you're not picked, you're what? You feel rejected. And I loved how Armin would treat that. He wouldn't just pick the two best you know, per- people. He would actually pick the kids who ultimately at times wouldn't be picked at all and make them the captain. So guess what? They didn't have to feel that rejected. They got to know what it was to be chosen because they got to do the choosing. And so here is, and you think about in religious terms, you know, here's the nation of Israel. They're going, you know, it's like being on there and going, nah, 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 you know, and they did that. 
to a certain degree because they were chosen of God. And they boasted in that. And what happened was, you know, in that, instead of having a desire to be what God called them to be, was to be a light to the Gentiles, they began to create laws to do what? To separate themselves, to get out of ministering to, you know, the Gentiles. And I think about what happens in the life of the church. You know, many of us have our own unwritten little laws, you know, and who we'll minister to and who we won't. And we come up with all these little religious things within our own heart and mind as to why it's acceptable, you know. And then you look at the New Testament and Jesus is on the scene. And what is he doing? You know, instead of, you know, as the Jews would say, well, if someone, you know, had leprosy, what did they have to do? They had to, you know, walk down the street and yell, unclean, unclean, right? And then cross over so that you didn't have any contact. And then what does Jesus do? You know, the lepers are crying out to him. They go, Lord, if, if, you, if you so will, if you have the desire, you know, save us. Cleanse us. And Jesus would go and he did what? He touched them. He touched lepers, right? Now people go, well, Jesus was unclean. You go, no, he would only have been unclean if they were still a leper. But he took their leprosy from them, so they didn't have leprosy, so he wasn't unclean and they weren't unclean. But it just shocked people, right? Because we work so hard to eliminate the people that we don't want to be around. We, we find, you know, in our own hearts, you know, justifiable reasons why we don't accept people. But we have a God who did what? who left heaven and came to earth and died on a cross that we might know heaven. Oh, man, the gospel. But to get there, in the sense, you go through hell. And so he's laying that out for us here. One of the things, you know, that, you know, about Israel, you know, they believe that the, that the law of God, that the law of Moses, that it confirmed their, their status, you know, as as the specifically chosen people of God. And in one sense, it did. And they believed because of that, that ensured their salvation. They had nothing more to do. It was like me growing up. Hey, my mom's a Catholic. My grandma's a Catholic. My grandma before was a Catholic. Guess what? We're Catholic, so guess what? I'm saved. Had nothing to do with a personal relationship with God. Had everything to do with your heritage. And that's what they're standing on. Verse 18 goes on, it says, and know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law. And so what Paul's saying, he's going, you know the will of God because he gave you the word of God. It wasn't because you had it all figured out. It's because God gave you his word so that you could understand it. And the rest of the world had no knowledge of it. And so what did they need? They needed the Jews to explain to them. The same thing, one of the things that, you know, I always had, a, you know, a axe to grind in the sense with the Catholic church. And it's what really gave birth to the Reformation. was that Martin Luther wanted people to have Bibles in their hands. He wanted people to be able to read the Bible for themselves. And the Catholic Church didn't even want the, the Bible to be in a language that the common person could read. Because that meant you had a job. There's, you can have big government. You can also have big church, right? And it's kind of the same concept. Where God wants us to know him personally. He wants us to have a Bible that we love and that we enjoy that we can get to know God. And so, again, yes, they, they knew the will of God. They knew the plans of God. It was spelled right out for them there. That, that word approve is, is really an interesting word because what it means is it's a process of testing something as, it, as it's uh, like metal is, is tested by fire. The nation of Israel was tested. We, we see that, you know, that God was with them, but they still had to fight the battles they still went into bondage and their disobedience. God delivered them. You know, they go into the promised land and they have to deal with all 
the things that come with walking with God, the same way that, that we do. And God continued to show himself strong. It was tested. You know, uh, Greg Laurie, you know, uh, shared this you know, uh, statement after his son Christopher was killed in a car accident. People were talking to him about his own faith, what, like what was going to happen to him. And I just remember he, you know, he, I know he didn't coin this, but it's where I made the connection with it. He said, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And so God allowed the nation of Israel to be tested so that they would know that God could be trusted. And guess what? The same, what's true for Israel is true for me and you. God will always show himself strong on our behalf. He just does it in ways that are what? As Isaiah would declare, that are high above my way and your way. Sometimes beyond finding out. And that's why God doesn't tell you to pray for knowledge or to pray for understanding, but to pray for what? The peace that surpasses understanding. Because even if we knew, if God told you why something was going on in your life, what would that do for you? You go, okay, you know, and you could still be miserable, right? So he says, well, don't pray for knowledge of it. Don't even pray for understanding. Pray for peace that surpasses understanding. That I'll be with you no matter what you go through. And half the time, that's it. That's the beauty of fellowship. Again, that's the beauty of being together. And again, as we head into the holidays, and you'll see and you know, you might experience it for yourself. There's many people that go through major depression during the holidays. I mean, think about it in the truest sense. I, I sit with more people during the holidays than any other time of the year that just open their heart. They go, you know what? I'm just, I, I, I'm to the point I don't even like the holidays anymore. And I go, why? And they go, because, you go, my my mom's not here any longer. My dad's not here any longer. My grandma's not here anymore. Longer, you know, I got brothers and sisters, you know, that aren't here. I've, you know, I've got family. I've got friends. And the older you get, that's what happens. And you go, and I get that. And you go, what should it do in our heart? Well, one, it makes us long for heaven. That's home. But there is. There, there is a struggle. There is a, a testing, you could say, that, that we go through. And then to come to that place where we go, you know, why is the church then so important? You go, because, you know, we think about, we even call ourselves brothers and sisters in Christ. Is that you could never replace, you know, your family in that regard. But sometimes, you know, people even say, and that happens all the time in church, is they go, you know, one of the things I love about the church is they go, I'm actually closer to, you know, some of you than I am, you know, my own blood relatives, you know, people will say. And I love that because that's what Jesus is doing in our life, that we are children of God, amen? And that we are brothers and sisters, you know, in Christ. And so... There is a testing that we'll go through. Verses 19 and 20, as you go on, it says, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind. So they understood their role. They understood that when God chose Abraham and he said, you know, I'm going to make you the father, what? You know, of, of many nations, right? And, and they knew that they had a responsibility. He says, and you yourself are a guide to the blind. Because again, the, the world up until the time that the law of Moses was given, go back and study world history. It was barbaric. They, if, if somebody, you know, wanted, you know, what you had, what did they do? They just came and took it. And if you fought them, they killed you. There was no law. There was no sense of right or wrong. It was just do whatever is in your heart to do, whatever you want. You know, book of Judges, every man did what was right, right in his own eyes. And the law of God did what? It brought civilization. It brought civility into humanity. You know, the law didn't, wasn't given to justify us. But the law was given to contain us, Scripture says, to bring us. It was, a, as Paul would write in the, in the book of Galatians, he said, it's a tutor to do what? To bring us to Jesus, right? Yeah, it was to keep us in line, you know, that you might say. 
And he says, to those who are in darkness, and in verse 20, he goes on, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. So the law was a good thing. It had a wonderful, wonderful purpose, and it still does today. And so, again, they saw it, the Jews did. They saw receiving the word of God as a gift from God. And I hope that you see that as well, that having a Bible, man, it's a gift. It is a gift from God. There are many people in the world. You go to, to countries where, especially communist countries, you, know, you go to China today, and the church is basically, what, underground, right? And you'll hear stories, you know, you can read them, you know, you, and and uh, the people will, will get a piece of a Bible, just a piece of a Bible, one one piece of a psalm, and they keep that with them. And that one that shows you how powerful the Word of God is. That throughout their whole life, they're standing on one little tiny promise of God, and they protect it and they guard it with their life. And you go, and we have Bibles, you know, in all different shapes, you know, and forms. Some of us, you know, it's like you know, you look in a car, you know, and you see a, you know, on the back of the, you know the car and you see a little, you know, rectangular thing there where the, their Bible has actually burned a hole in Bakersfield because of the heat, right? It's just, there's a square that, you know, everything's faded, you know, except for that one little spot where the Bible sits. Or you go into somebody's home and, you know, you find yourself, you know, trust me, you know, been there, done this, okay? Some of you have, you know, Bibles out in your home. You know, some people like to, you know, lay them on, you know, something, lay them open and you find yourself dusting it periodically, Right? Because it just takes up space in your home. And I can promise you, because I've had that own, my conviction in my own life. You go, you know, maybe once in a while I should flip the page of this thing, you know. And you go, because it just becomes a piece of art or decoration, you know. And you go, that was never God's intent. And I'm not saying don't have a Bible in your home. Don't, you know, receive what the Holy Spirit would have you. And then I think you understand the point is that we would, that we would see owning a Bible as a privilege. That it's a blessing not to sit there. You know, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that it would, it would get into us, you know. And so, again, Paul is reminding there, it's not the possession, you know, the law that matters. It's the practice of the law, and it hasn't changed at all. And so the Jews, like I said, they took great, great pride in their identity. You know, like I said, they, they have a heritage. They have a godly heritage. I mean, think about this. They walked and they talked with God. Every other god, the false gods, were what? They were territorial gods, right? You know, the god of the mountains. So if they were going to fight you, they wanted to get to the mountains because they felt like that's where our god's at. Then you had a god that lived down in the valley, you know? The idolatrous, you know, tribes would believe. And so they wanted to lure you into the valley where they felt like their, their god was at. But what was said of the Jews by their enemies, they go, Israel, they have a god that tabernacles. What does it mean? They go, he travels with them. Don't you love that? Can you imagine that? You go, you know, it's like going out, you know, and having a big brother that's like, you know, eight or 10 years older than you. That's like a division one, you know, football player, wrestler or something. You don't really have much fear when you go out in public, you know, that that's what's going on, you know, with you. And that's how the nation of Israel felt. They, they had been, the, it, the word had been tested. It had been tried in their life and God had proven himself faithful, right? I mean, think about it, you know, I mean, he delivers, you know, the nation of Israel at the hands of the Egyptians, right? I mean, think about this. He, they go to the Red Sea. Mo Moses sticks out a stick. You know, they're mad at Moses, right? You know, you've read the story. They're mad. They're pinched in in a valley. There's hills on both sides, and there's the Egyptian army behind them. And what do they do? They're looking at Moses. They go, thanks a lot, Moses. Thanks a lot. And Moses is, you know, what do I do at this point, you know? And so he sticks out his staff, right? And he just cries out to God. And what happens? I mean, 
You have the first aquarium. You know, they, they cross over on dry land. Imagine that'd be so awesome. You're walking through there and there's, there's fish right there. He's like, wow, that is awesome. You go, God, over and over and over and over again, God delivered the nation of Israel. They had been tested. You think of in your own life, has God delivered you? Yeah. If you're here today and you're saved, he's delivered you. He delivered you from hell. But then you think about circumstances and situations. We serve a redeeming God, right? Every one of our stories is a story of redemption. We get backed into corners all the time. And what does God do? I mean, we worry about all kinds of stuff, right? And what does God do? He comes through. He comes through. And then we, oh God, you know, we get it. You know, like the disciples, Lord, I believe, but what? Help my unbelief, you know? And Jesus is, you know, reminding us, hey, when the Son of Man returns to the earth, will he find faith on the earth? I mean, are we, are we believing? Are we trusting, you know? And, and so the nation of Israel, like I said, they understood, you know, who God was. I mean, and they could honestly say, we are God's chosen people. And they were called to be a guide to the blind. Like I said, the other, the other nations, the other tribes, the other people, they were, in, they were in darkness. That's every person in the truest sense. If you have somebody who doesn't know Jesus in your life today, they are in darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. And he said of you and I that we are like lights that are what? Are, that are set on a hill that can't be hidden. And it's not our light. It's God's light, what? Within us. And that we're to take that light into the world. He says, and let your light do what? So shine before men. You get around people that are in darkness so that, guess what? You go, hey, we got to get around them so that we can be light so that they have something to follow, that they know a better way. And that's really, you know, the great privilege and the great responsibility that not only Israel had then, but it's what you and I get to enjoy today. You know, God used Moses, you know, God used David, God used the prophets. I mean, you think about, you know, all through the Old Testament, God works through people. And God is still working through people today to be what? To be a guide. I mean, you think about all the people that you know that other people here in this church don't know. You know, people go, I don't know who I should minister to. And it's like, you know, look around. You know, I, we, we see it in scripture, right? Who's my neighbor? <laughs> what did Jesus say? You know, they're, they're like, who's my neighbor, Jesus? Is that the person who's on my left where I live and on the right and then beside me? He goes, you know, my, bro my brother's keeper, and who's my brother? And he's like, whoever you're around, wherever you go, that's your neighbor. Whoever's close by, whoever's next to you at that. So when you're on the, the freeway, you know, your next door neighbor is that person on the right that won't let you get off the freeway. You know, and you have to ask your brother, please, please. Or you're there, and you're, I'm not letting you off, you know. It's my, it's my lane, you know. But no, every place that we go, God has called us to be light. And God has shown himself faithful to the nation of Israel. You just look at any story that you want to pick there in the Old Testament. You know, the, the nation of Israel could honestly say, you know, we're, we're different than the other nations. And guess what? You can say the same thing today too if you're in Christ Jesus. You are different. You go, why? Because God not only has saved you, but he's opened your eyes to see truth. Jesus said the truth you'll know and the truth will do something. It'll set you free. You don't have to walk in that truth, but the difference between you and me and the unbelieving world is we know the difference. We know where the switch is, you might say, so to speak here. And like I said, you know, until Moses, until the law of Israel was given to Moses there on Mount Sinai, when God gave them the Ten Commandments, you know, the world was basically just a, a barbaric place. I mean, it was, it was an ugly, ugly place. And then I, I think about today. 
And you go, what's happening today? And some people would say, you know, we're kind of going back to the times of barbarianism, right? We're seeing that. And you go, well, in one sense, we truly are. And you go, why would that be? Why would that be? If, if when God gave the world the law of Moses on Mount Sinai, and Moses came down and gave the law to the people, and the law governed their life, and it brought civility, what would happen to a people or a country or a world that begins to take God out and no longer believes or adheres to God's laws? What would happen to that group of people? Would they be able to manage themselves and to create a utopia, as some would think that's taking place in the world today? I always like, you know, Pastor Chuck, you know, said about, you know, the devil himself, you know, that he's chained right now, right? He's in the abuso, you know, Revelation tells us. And there's some that believe that, you know, the Catholic Church is one of them, is that, you know, we are in the millennial kingdom right now. We're in the millennial period, the thousand year period of peace. And Pastor Chuck, you know, would always say, he goes, you know, if, if you know, if Satan is, is bound, he's chained and he's in the abuso and this is, you know, the time of the millennial kingdom and this is the time of peace. He goes, I just want to state for a fact, for the record, that chain is too long. You know, <laughs> it's really true. You know, the devil has way too much latitude. Would you agree? You know, this isn't the millennial kingdom, you know, and you go, but the danger of it is we are a country that has taken the 10 commandments out of our courtrooms. We've taken the Bible and prayer out of school. And you go, does that have a repercussion? And you just have to, you know, you have to make that decision for yourself. But go back, because again, history that's not learned from tends to what? Repeat itself. And we're seeing history repeat itself. We truly are becoming more barbaric each and every day because of the lack of knowledge of God. And so all the more that the church would rise up, not that we would run and hide, but that we would see this time and such that we live as a privilege and a responsibility to shed light. And I thank God there's so many that really are. And, it, and it's difficult and it's hard. You know, it is hard uh, to fight the good fight of faith. You know, people are going to school boards and standing before them and, you know, and going and standing before government and, and they're, you know, making their voice heard. They're, they're, they're binding together with others. And, and again, in peaceable ways to, to be a voice. You know, we speak for those that, that can't speak. The gospel is you know, power and demonstration. We share the word of God and then we live that word out, you know, in front of them and then hopes that what they see that in their blindness, that they come the same way we did. You know, we were all, in, we were all in darkness and because of God's, you know, wonderful, wonderful working power of the Holy Spirit, you know, he opened up our eyes. The Holy Spirit's in this world to convict the world of sin and us of righteousness, right? And so you go, yeah, we need to, we need to trust the Lord all the more. And then when you look at, uh, you know, verses 19 and, you know, and 20 there again, he says, you know, it's, it's a, a light to those who are in darkness, you know, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and the truth and the law. So the word of God is powerful. Remember, what did Jesus say about the word? He said, the word of God is what, you know, I mean, it, it, I mean, it's, it's a sword. Paul would write that the word of God is what it's living. It's active. It's sharper than what a two-edged sword. It's able to pierce both the joint and the marrow. It's able to separate us at the, at the deepest place of our being there. You know, I'm reminded, you know, in Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, the Lord said to Abraham, he says, you know, 
He says, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. You remember this? Remember Abraham saying this? He says, and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And he says, and I will curse those who curse you. But sometimes I think we forget the rest of this. And he says, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You and I are the ones that have the privilege and the responsibility to carry the blessings of God into the world. And I look at the, this little nation of Israel today. Are they still blessing the earth? Are they still blessing the world? And you go, yeah, it is amazing. You know, what comes out of this little country? You know, the scientific, you know, world. I mean, the entertainment world. I mean, just how God has just blessed the nation of Israel to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And so you can see why Israel's under attack as well all the time. I mean, you think of the words there, the one true God. That's what Israel, they knew. They knew the one true God. And so they could explain God. They could explain the will of God. They had the law. They knew the plans and the purpose of God. And again, they understood. They understood because of the word of God that the world's philosophy was empty. Hopefully we understand that same thing. Verse 21 goes on. It says, you therefore who teach another. It says, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who have the law, do you keep it? So Paul is saying, in essence, then, because, you know, you can see how others are breaking, you know, the law. He says, but do you see how you are breaking the law yourself? He wasn't sharing that to justify them. He was sharing that with them to bring them to a place of condemnation, self-condemnation here. You know, so Paul points to, you know, the, the laws of God and that it applies both, you know, to our actions and our attitudes. You know, like I said, have you ever, you ever done the right thing with the wrong attitude? Yeah, as Paul says, that's suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. You know, that our, our inside doesn't match our outside. See, when man looks at what? The outward appearance. And Paul will stress this here. He goes, you know, you might have praise before men because they see the outward. He goes, but you won't have it before God. And you go, why? You go, because God can see your stinking attitude. He knows what's really going on in your heart. And that should grip all of us, right? You know, who you are when no one's looking, that's who we really are. And so, you know, again, as I've shared with you, you know, previously, you know, we, we judge other people by their actions. You know, we judge ourselves by our intentions, but God judges us by both. And he understands them perfectly and completely. Again, you know, as the writer of Hebrews would tell us, you know, in Hebrews 4.12, you know, that God sees, he says, the thoughts and the intent of the heart. And that, that, you know, that talk about something scary, you know, that God knows the intent of our heart, you know, and like the Jew, you know, we, you know, we, we could say ourselves, you know, just as they said, they go, when did we, when did we steal? You know, go, oh, I'm not a thief. I didn't steal. And what did, what did God tell them? What did the book of Malachi say? He wrote this Malachi 3, he says, will a man rob God? He said, yet you've robbed me, but you say, in what way have I robbed you? And he says, in the tithes and the offerings in the tithes and the offerings. You go, you are stealing from God. And all of a sudden they're going, oh, you know, because it's real easy to go, I'm not a thief. You know, I would, and God's going, yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, you are. You rip me off every week. Every week you rip me off with the tithe and the offering. You know, well, I meant, you know, not that one. You know, I mean, you know, yeah. 
go on to verse 22. It says, you who say, do not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? And again, some people, you know, even Jews, the belief was that they, you know, did things that profited them, even if it was considered idol worship, as long as, you know, they paid their taxes. True story. Just real quick, I'll digress into this. When we were down on 17th and O Street, we would go street witnessing. I've shared this story before. Me and the college pastor, Bobby Paris, we went down and, and they had all these adult bookstores that were downtown there. And uh, so Bobby and I were standing out in front of him and we had a bunch of tracks and we were praying. We go, oh, do we, do we, do we give these out? Do we, do we go in here? And we prayed and we felt like, okay, the Lord, you know, yeah, we'll go in there. So we walk into this adult bookstore and it was just a big square and it just had uh, magazine racks that went around the store. And then there was a checkout counter and a guy was just sitting there. So we walked in, there's only about maybe seven or eight guys and they were all men that were in there. So we walked in. And we just, they were like, it was the weirdest thing. The wall was like right here. They were ahead of a magazine open, but they were like six or eight inches away. They weren't, they weren't looking at each other. They were just like this. And, and so we, we didn't see anything at all. And we just reached over their shoulder with a track. And they all, they all go like this. They all go, and they took it and they started to read it. And then we just went to the next one. Like I said, there was just a handful of guys. So we walk up to the counter and uh, the guy says, hey, uh, what, what are you guys doing? And we said, oh, you know, we're from Calvary Chapel down the street. And uh, we're just going around, you know, just sharing, you know, Jesus with people. We just had some, some tracks. We wanted to give them out to the guys. And, and uh, we're going to give you one, too. So he, he looks at it and he goes, oh, hey, I just want you to know. He goes, I'm Jewish. And we go, you're Jewish? And he go, I go, you're Jewish and you own a, a porno shop? And he goes, I promise you, this was his, he looked right at me and he goes, I pay my taxes. He goes, that's all God. Why I pay my, I'm, I'm, I'm a good Jew. I pay my taxes. And I'm like, <laughs> so we're trying to share with the guy. And then he basically kicks us out of the store. So, you know, we leave, but I'll just never forget that. He looked, I mean, he, he completely thought it was okay because he paid his taxes. It was okay. It was just a business. It was a way to make good money. And he paid his taxes. He was in darkness and you go, and so was I, and so were you. And somebody came along and did what? They shared the truth of God's word, the power of God's word. And that truth set us free. It's a privilege and it's a responsibility to have the word of God, to sit on it. And you think about your own life. Who are you sharing Jesus with? And you go, and we go, I, but I share it with just other Christians. And you go, that's good. And we should, that should be a part of our life is to admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, make a melody in our heart before God, encourage, exhort. But let's make it perfectly clear. We are here to reach the unreached world. We are here to be a light to a world that's in darkness. And that means we have to get around the world that's in darkness. And so, you know, Christmas time, like I said, Thanksgiving, it's a great opportunity. You know, people are actually open. You can actually talk about Jesus at Christmas time. Christmas, Christmas. Christ is, in, I love it. You know, you know, you'll hear people like at the checkout line at the store and, uh, you know, they go, uh, happy holidays. And they go, Merry Christmas. And, and now they're going, oh yeah. Okay. It's like, okay, well you said it first. Cause remember, cause it was taboo for a while. It was Xmas, right? We were Xmas. And you go, and, and Christians would go, no, it's Christmas. And some would belligerently do it and, you know, take the joy. I was like, you know, you go, okay, well, smile when you say it at least, you know, it's Christmas. You know, you go, oh my gosh. It's like, okay, well, you know, Merry Christmas to you too. You know, 
But people just go, hey, Merry Christmas. But I love when the checkers, even at that time, that they knew then you were a Christian and you were okay with it. And they would say in response, and I know some of you, you're nodding because that's how it was for you. And they would go, oh, Merry Christmas. Yeah. And you're kind of wanting to do the fish thing, right, with them. You know, you go, yeah, you know, okay, yeah, good. We're good. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you'd walk away feeling good just by doing what? Encouraging somebody with the name Christ. It should. That's, I mean, he brought joy into this world, joy to the world, right? For the Lord has come. So again, you look at this and like I said, it's such a great reminder, you know, all the things that the nation of Israel, you know, did, you know, Jesus brought out, you know, himself, you know, and pointing out to the church, you know, that we can say, well, I didn't do this. I haven't done this wrong. I haven't done this wrong. You know, and Jesus says, you know, hey, man who looks upon a woman with lust, he's committed what? You know, adultery. Uh, you look at your brother and you say, raka, you know, you fool. And you get angry with people. And he goes, and what have you done? You've committed murder in your heart. Uh, you, you make an oath. You say, oh, you know, I'll do it. And then let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, he just walks through point after point after point doing the same thing. It's just bringing us to a place that you go, we are guilty before God. The law, the letter of the law doesn't... <laughs> give us life. The letter of the law killeth. That was the point. That was its purpose. But the spirit giveth life. God wants to take our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh when we come to him and we surrender our heart to him, that we come alive. That, that's the beauty of being born again. Verse 24 goes on. It says, and for the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles. He says, because of you. And Paul's quoting the, that from Isaiah 52, five there. And, and the rabbis in Paul's day, they interpreted the law in such a way that they completely justified their actions. And they tried to use the law to do it. That, that was the, the sad thing. But they, they failed to comprehend, like I said, that the law doesn't justify, but that it actually condemns us. And that's really what I was sharing with you. That, you know, Jesus uh, exposed, you know, the erroneous interpretation that the, the Pharisees had there. And you can read it for yourself in Matthew chapter 5. It's great chapter to read because only Jesus fulfills the law. Okay. Only Jesus fulfills the law. And that's what he said. He says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. He said, I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill. He says, for assuredly, I say to you till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till it's all fulfilled. It says, whoever therefore breaks one of these, of the least of these commandments and teaches men, so he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. You go, wow, that's what to do what? He goes, it, like Job, brings us to a place where we put our hand over our mouth and you go, I'm just going to be quiet. Yeah. We're all, we're all guilty before God. And then going on, you know, look at that. Um, verse 25, he says, for circumcision, he says, is indeed profitable if you keep the law. He says, but if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. And, and you, th you think about, you know, what Paul is communicating to us here. You know, it, it's understanding, you know, that, you know, I love that expression that says, I'd, I'd rather have the right experience by the wrong name than the wrong experience by the right name. You know, that we would understand that, you know, they made this great big deal about the outward, you know, expression of, of circumcision. But circumcision was to be a reflection of what God was doing in the heart of the, of the nation of Israel, right? And yet they just made it about, you know, the outward appearance. It's like a wedding ring. My wedding ring is just what? It's an outward sign of an inward change. 
can someone wear a wedding ring and be unfaithful? You go, absolutely. It'd be the same thing. That's why Jesus said, you know, man who looks upon a woman with lust in his eyes commits what? adultery. And you go, just because you have a, a ring on, it's just a sign. It's just a symbol. But is it the true indicator of your, of your being married? You go, no. The true indication of your marriage is what? Is your heart. It's your commitment within. And it's the same thing with regard to your faith. You know, another favorite, my, one of my great gloriasms, you know, is, you know, coming to church again doesn't make you a Christian any more than, you know, going to the donut shop, you know, makes you, whether you want to be a sheriff or a police officer or whatever, you know, person you want to be. It, it's not, you know, the outward sense of it. It's what goes on in your heart. It's not that you come to church. It's not that you read a Bible. Those are all good things, but that's not the proof of your salvation. The proof of your salvation is what has happened in your heart before God. And so, again, for the Jew, they were just resting on it. Well, I go to church, you know. I, I serve at the church, actually. And I have a Bible, and I read the Bible. And you go, but there's a disconnect in the truest sense between your heart and your actions. And as James would say, you know, a double-minded person is unstable in all of their ways. Verse 25 goes on, it says, for circumcision, like I said, is indeed profitable if, if what? If you keep the law, because then it matches up. Oh, your ring, your wedding ring matches what's going on in your heart. Okay. It says, but if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become nothing. That's why, you know, somebody goes, why are you wearing a ring? You know, and it'd be funny because when I was in the beverage industry, most of the meetings that we had were, were held in restaurants or in bars. Same thing being a pastor. It's funny, you know, people meet, you know, in restaurants and, you know, not necessarily a bar, but, uh, but then it was just, most time it was a bar. And, um, and I'd be sitting there with a guy and I don't, I met guys from all around the country. I, I would meet people. I didn't even know we just worked for the same company. And so, so we'd travel, we would meet and we would, we would, uh, you know, do training and stuff in different cities. And so we'd always, you know, enjoy, you know, meals together. And so we'd be there and, and I'd always look and it just got to be funny. And I'd talk to my wife about it on the phone. I go, guys can, you know, I always loved Don McClure. Don McClure said, you know, men, Men will fight to the death for the right to be wrong. And I, I always, that just never has left me. It's just, we can do some of the dumbest things. So here's guys at, at, you know, they're away from home. They're in a bar at night and they take their wedding ring off. Okay. And they're, they're in a, they're in a bar and I'm looking at this and I'm laughing and I would say it because I'm just, my personality is, I'm just going to say it, you know. I go, hey, I go, is, is, is that a tan line on your finger there? And they go, excuse me? And I said, well, do you, you have a, are you married? And they're, they're like looking at me like, you know, like first, who are you? You know, type of thing. But we've been there long enough. And I go, so I go, you married? And they go, yeah, why? And I said, well, I, no, you don't have your ring on. I go, but, you know, it's pretty obvious that you have a ring because, you know, you have an indentation there and then or really nice tan line going there. Oh yeah, well I was just uh, yeah like hey you, I'm not your wife. You don't have to explain anything to me. And my boss at times and he would tell me say, oh, man, you know he goes you should have seen it. It was like you know crickets. And he goes yeah I talked to that guy later on. He's like they were asking who is that guy, you know why did he ask that you know he goes he just asked you know you know I didn't say anything else. I didn't judge him. I didn't I just asked a question you know. I mean, every party needs a pooper, okay? And that's, and I'm the, I'm the party pooper, you know? And I did it a lot, you know? And it was just one of the, one of those things. But, um, you know, circumcision, understand this, you know, it, it only served really two purposes. It was a sign of God's covenant. And it was also that 
an illustration that God was doing something really awesome. He was cutting away the flesh. There was a change that was taking place. And, and I love that, you know, about what circumcision was really all about, because it was to remind the Jew the pain. There's a pain when God cuts away the flesh, you know. And you think about today, well, water baptism is, is really that for us, is that we signify going under that water of baptism, which is death and coming out into the newness of life, you know, and then we have this marked moment that we, we experience that in our life. So what circumcision was in the Old Testament, you know, baptism is in the New Testament, you could say, you know, for us. And the Jews, like I said, they thought circumcision was the proof that they were saved in the same way that many people today, if you go, hey, how are you going to heaven? And they go, I was baptized. And I always tell them, I go, where were you baptized? Calvary Chapel. And I go, did I mention anything about the water when you got in that day? And they go, yeah, you said that the water couldn't, couldn't cleanse me. I go, yeah, it was filthy. There's stuff floating around in it. I go, the water doesn't cleanse you. The blood of Jesus cleanses you, right? Yeah. And I go, so what does that mean that you were baptized? You go, are you, are you trusting Jesus for your salvation? I mean, are you living for Jesus? And I, well, yeah, I go, well. I would be really careful about that then because that's not what baptism was about. Baptism was like the believer's wedding in a sense. It was the outward expression of the inward change. It was your opportunity to testify to the world. You go, hey, you know what? I was dead in my trespasses and sin, but I'm, a now, I'm now a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. And when I came out of the water, behold, all things have become new. That's the symbol of it, right? I mean, you didn't, you didn't fall in love on your wedding day. Hopefully your wedding day was the culmination of your love that you go, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Yeah, it's an outward sign of an inward change. And so, you know, again, you look at this in verse 26, and we'll wrap it up here. It says, therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? So it's just saying that even those people that didn't have the law, if they do what is in the law to do, even if they haven't been circumcised, he goes, God's going to bless that. God's going to honor that because it isn't about the outward expression. It's about the attitude of the heart. It's about, you know, it's not, God hasn't required sacrifice. What he desires and what he wants is what? Obedience. Yeah. Obedience to him. Verse 27 goes on, it says, and will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your unwritten code and circumcision are the transgressor of the law. Again, he brings us to that place that, you know, there is none righteous, no, not one. It says, go therefore and make, you know, disciples, Jesus said, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, what we should be asking ourselves, you know, regarding the world that's around us, you know, are we, you know, taking the gospel into the world? Because people, you know, will say, and they'll, they'll start to stand up and say, you know, well, um, I mean, what about the people who haven't heard the gospel, right? Have you ever had somebody start to share the gospel? Like, what about the people who don't ever hear the gospel? And you go, well, honestly, you go, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not with everybody that doesn't hear the gospel, but I'm with you right now. And so I guess my question would be, just like we would ask it for the person who hasn't heard it, what are you going to do with the gospel? Because really, isn't that the responsibility that we have? I'm not responsible for what I don't know. I'm not responsible for where I'm not at. You know, I'm responsible in that moment. And so to bring people back in, you go, what will you do with the gospel? And then you go, and on the other side, like I said, just reading that from Matthew 28, you go, God has called us to go into the world. And so I have a responsibility to hear God and to obey God to wherever God would call me to go. But I have to ask God. You know, a lot of times nobody even prays that prayer. 
anymore. It's like, because I don't want to know where God wants me to go because I'm pretty sure he's going to send me somewhere because that's what he does with his kids. He sends us to do what? He sends us to people that need to hear the gospel. And guess what? Wherever you go, people need to hear the gospel. The key is, will we be obedient to the Lord to share it with other people? And he says in verse 28, for he's not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. He says, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from um, men, but from God. So salvation is obviously a result of the Holy Spirit coming in the heart of man. It's an inside-out job. That's what the Paul is making clear. A Jew isn't uh, someone who's just a Jew because they come from a Jewish family and they performed all the rituals and everything of Judaism. A real Jew is not only a descendant of, of Abraham, but they're also one that lives according to the law, that they manifest you know, the relationship that they have with God because it's, a, it's really a matter of the heart. You know? And that's really as we close you know, in all of our lives, God's looking at the heart. You know, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Amen. And then that's what, that's what he wants to, to bring us to. He says, whose praise is not from men, but from God. You know, that we'd play to an audience of one, that you would look at your life and the things that you do and you go, God, is this pleasing to you? Okay. Because he said their name, a Jew comes from Judah, which is praise, right? So they were not only to praise God, but they were also, they received the praise of God. And guess what? We're going to stand before God one day and he's going to say to me and you, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or he's going to say, well done, you know, and you don't want that second one. You know, you want well done, good and faithful servant that we were obedient to the things that God called us to do. He called us to a relationship with himself. And so, you know, again, that's the, the joy, the hope that we have, you know, not that we would be something outwardly, but that we would be uh, a believer inwardly that would impact the way that we would live our lives outwardly. You know, as I was looking at this and I was thinking, how do I wrap this up? It was like, I had to ask myself, you know, a question I'd ask you today. You know, if you were on trial today, because that's what Paul's doing, right? He's it's like a good prosecutor. He's putting us all on trial. So you're on trial today. I'm on trial today. And if you were on trial for being a Christian, ask yourself today, would there be enough evidence, evidence to convict you? If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And that's where you have to ask God to look in your heart. And if there's questions there, you know, Come to him, ask him to wash you, ask him to cleanse you, ask him to help you. I can do nothing apart from him, Paul said, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, amen? Amen, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, I, I love this book, and I'm falling in love with it every time, Lord, I pick it up and read it, and in the book of Romans, I, I get it in my own heart and life. I see why it brings revival, because Lord, it, it challenges me, it cuts me, uh, Lord, it convicts me. Um, and those are good things, God, to lay aside the weight, the sin that so easily entangles us and run with endurance, the race that's set before us. God, you, you, you speak sometimes, as Larry was sharing right before the word, is that sometimes you, you do, you give us a hard word, but it's not to, to hurt us. It, it's to shake us up and to get us to think about what's really important in this world, because we do, we get distracted uh, Lord, we, we get caught up in the hustle and the bustle, even of the holidays, and we forget that it's not about stuff. It's always about people. And uh, Lord, that we would 
slow the pace during the holidays. And just as you came to those shepherds who were out in their field, they were just out there at night and you came to them. That God, you'll, you'll come to us and you'll, you'll make yourself known in fresh ways. And Lord, may we just be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. May you use us, Lord, uh, God, to be a light, uh, Lord, to the world that's around us. And may we appreciate afresh that we own Bibles. And God, you've given us truth that, God, not, not to, to hamper us, but Lord, to empower us that we could live good and, and, and peaceable lives that, Lord, produce fruits of righteousness. And so, uh, Lord, I pray that we would receive all that you have for us today and this week. And Lord, may we, each and every day as we go into Thanksgiving, just be thankful, God. May we count our blessings every single day. You have been so good to us and you are and you, you're a God who pours out blessings, God. And Lord, we don't deserve it, but Lord, we say thank you today for loving us like you do. May your love, Lord, overflow our lives and may we touch the world around us. This week we pray in Jesus' name, amen.